Okay, so what happened here was as follows. Bitcoin tested this support line multiple times. And I kept saying, if Bitcoin keeps testing this support line, eventually it's going to break the support line. Because every time it tests the support line, what it does, it eats up the liquidity. And then we had this big red candle and Bitcoin finally broke down. Now, most people will tell you they know what caused that big red candle. We do know what caused this big red candle. And it's all about Russia and what's happening in Europe. So today we're going to be looking at what is actually happening in Europe why this red candle and then we're also going to find out whether we can expect more downside or whether we've seen the worst so it's going to be a big show uh, i wasn't going to do a show as you can see i'm traveling but i had to bring you this offer so let's do this would you rather listen to a duck or would you rather get out of bed bitches here and I, I realize why i love you guys so much you guys are a bunch of absolute 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 DJs. so listen DJs, welcome back here i am i am um i'm actually in israel at the moment i came to visit my grandmother who's getting old and sick and i just figured i haven't been here to see her since covid so i should come in uh, and see her it's the first time in three years that i've actually come to see her and spend some time with her um and here i am bringing you guys a show because there's a lot going on that we need to talk about we need to dig into what's going on in the world it's a big mess what's going on in the world and the question is whether this can impact the markets a little bit further because it is getting pretty scary out there that's the problem and i'll show you why it's getting a little scary out there as i said to you guys if we keep testing this 19,500 range or more or less 19,600 if you keep testing it eventually you're going to drive the liquidity and you're going to get that big red candle down now the big problem here is that since we now did break that 19,600, the next support level is not even a real support level. And that is, um, I think around, it's, it's the previous low. So it's, it's around, yeah. Uh, hold on, let's have a look at it. It's, let's just go, in fact, let's go into a bigger chart. Then, then, we can actually, then we can actually deal with this. All right, so the next level that, needs to, that we, 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 are, we would be testing is the 17,600, which was the low of the capitulation candle. And if we go through that, well, then I'm going to have to go into the Kyle camp and kind of say, okay, look, the next level actually can go down to $12,000. Now, the big question is, is that actually a real thing? Can we actually get to $12,000? And if we can, what's going to cause that level? What's going to cause that move down? That's pretty much what this show is all about. We've got to look at the situation. We've got to take a real big look and say, is this a buy the dip or is this a situation where if you buy the dip, it's just going to keep dipping and dipping and dipping. You know, like I bought the dip and it dipped again, and then I bought the dip again and it dipped again, and I bought the dip again and then it dipped again, and then I bought the dip again and it just kept dipping. So if that's you, you want to be here for the show. So listen, I'm, I'm here bringing you crypto love and crypto wisdom. 
on a day where I'm actually supposed to be visiting my granny. So you guys can give me some love, give me some good comments here, help help us get unshadow banned. Um, most of the shows are unshadow banned, so let's see, maybe maybe this one's also going to be unshadow banned. Um, like the content, let's smash up the like, subscribe to the channel if you're not already part of the 95% that subscribe to this channel. I do have some great news for you at the end of the show, amazing, amazing, amazing news. You want to stay tuned till the end. Um, Otherwise, yeah, let's do this, guys. Good to see you. So happy to be back here and bring you content. I didn't bring you content uh, yesterday because I was uh, I just landed and I was driving around and, um, and Monday I didn't bring you guys content. But you saw Sheldon did a live trading show, which was amazing. Nice to have Sheldino doing uh, what he what he what he loves doing what, what he loves doing the most. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the market. Let's talk about what's going on here. So eighteen thousand eight hundred fifty-one, twenty seventeen high now breached. I mean, I guess you can say twenty seventeen high. We actually pretty much on that 2017 high. Let's just bring it down to where it should be. We're pretty much sitting on that 2017 high. Uh, in fact, I think we have, we have broken it on, on the way down. Uh, and that was, as I said to you, after we spent a lot of time testing this 2017 high, we tested it, then we tested it, then we tested it. And every time we tested it, we ate into the liquidity. And now, basically, we've got this big red candle. And this big red candle is kind of sitting in the middle of nowhere. It's not on a support. It's not in a resistance. It's not in any kind of channel. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's it, which is not a good place to be. So now it's really decision time for Bitcoin. Is it going to go down and break the seventeen thousand six hundred, or is it going to actually shoot up? So in order to 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 to, to understand what's going to happen, we need to look at some other charts and see what's causing this. First thing is, I was quite impressed with how well Bitcoin was holding. So. So if you look at what happened here yesterday, Bitcoin was really, really, really holding well while the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield was doing crazy things yesterday. I don't know if you guys are watching this, but the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield was doing crazy, 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 crazy things. Here. You can see at, on my time at one o'clock, the 10-year Treasury yield spiked. There was a big green candle. And if you look where Bitcoin was at one o'clock, Bitcoin was actually holding pretty fine. It was, it was holding pretty fine until a bit later. And then it was only later in the day when Bitcoin actually broke down. I was super impressed with the way Bitcoin was holding up, but it just got to a point where I guess too much happened on a macro scale. And then that sent Bitcoin down, um, well, pretty much you could say with the rest of the fundamentals. At the same time, we've got this dollar index continuing its parabolic run. Now it is at 110.58, uh, highest level in 21 years. And if you wanna know what's causing this dollar index to be where it is right now. You need to look no further than this chart over here, which is the euro to the dollar. It is at 99.01, so it's under a, do under a dollar. In fact, it was early on, it was at 98.65. And that's because of all the mess that's happening in Europe. So what's happening is people are running out of the euro and going into the dollar. And at the same time, when that happens, you see the dollar index get stronger. And the reason why the dollar index is getting stronger is if you look at what makes up the dollar index. So when we look at the dollar index, when we look at this chart over here, you see this chart over here, which is the dollar index. And the, when the dollar index goes up, you've got to ask yourself, why is it going up? And the way to ask yourself to understand why it's going up is to understand what actually makes up the dollar index. And if you look at it, 57.6% of the dollar index is actually made up of euros. And the rest is made up of Japanese yen, British pounds, Canadian dollars, Swedish krona, and Swiss francs. But 57% of it is made up of euros. And Europe is not exactly having the time of their lives at the moment 
with this uh, Russian war and this energy crisis. And that's what we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about today, because we need to understand this energy crisis. We need to understand the implications of this energy crisis to understand how quickly we can get out of this and whether we can get out of this. Because if we can't, then it might be a pretty long winter. And I don't mean that in, uh, I mean that in both senses. It's going to be a long crypto winter and it's going to be a long winter in Europe if they can't resolve this energy crisis. Um, quickly, let's take a quick look at the NASDAQ. NASDAQ, pretty flat. Um, I guess the NASDAQ is waiting for the Fed speakers. There's a lot of Fed speakers this week. Uh, I think I saw that we have, yeah, this is the, the, the schedule of Fed, of Fed speakers. So today we've got Barkin, probably has just spoken. Mester, Brainart, tomorrow, I think we've got Powell. Yeah, tomorrow we've got Powell at 10 past nine. I remember the last time he spoke, he used the term, there's going to be a lot of pain or there may be some more pain, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all eyes are all ears on Powell tomorrow and how he speaks. In fact, if I do do a, a live stream tomorrow, we'll do it at the same time at the same time that Powell speaks. So we can start off the live stream uh, with Powell speaking. So that's where we are with uh, the NASDAQ just opened um, pretty flat. But there is something that we need to be looking at. So we know this is a very, very, very big week for Ethereum. They had, um, they, they had the first part of the merge, which is the part that actually prepares the chain for the merge. That went off flawlessly. Um, and now the next part of it is the actual merge. And what you can see with ETH is it, it's a slightly different pattern. So if you look at ETH and you look at this, it's a very short-term trend. But nonetheless, if you look at it, you've got a trend line coming down over here and you've got a little break and you've got a retest of that trend line. And then this could be bullish. This could, ETH could be actually bullish. I think it's important to, to, to play or to note what's happening between Bitcoin and Ethereum. So if we take Bitcoin and we take Bitcoin and we look at the, how far Bitcoin has come off its recent lows. I'm not talking about the lows of 2017. I'm talking about the most recent lows, the capitulation lows of this cycle. So Bitcoin was at 17,702. Let's quickly draw that line over here. And today you got Bitcoin at, it's, five, it's up 5%. So you pretty much got Bitcoin up 5% since its lows. If you look at Ethereum, if you take that same chart and you look at Ethereum and you say, okay, how is Ethereum doing since the lows? Um, let's go back to the date of the lows, which was a couple of months ago, I think. It wasn't, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even a couple of months ago. Here it is. So that's the date of the low. And you look at Ethereum over here, you see that Ethereum is up 70%. So Bitcoin is up 5 or 6%. Ethereum is up 70% off the lows. This market is trying to tell you something. This market is trying to tell you something. I'm going to talk to you about what the market is actually trying to tell you. You're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing a whole lot of clues here. The first thing is, as I said, you look at where Bitcoins come from and you look at where Ethereum's come from. Bitcoin's up 5%. Ethereum's up 70%. That's the first thing. Second thing is, another clue is sitting at the dominance. Look at where that dominance is. Dominance is at 39.4%. And I must say, I've never seen dominance uh, so low while the market is, while Bitcoin, dominance so low while Bitcoin is so low while the market is so low. And that's, again, the market is telling you a story. So what is this market? Yeah, someone said Benjamin Khan was wrong. I tried to tell him he was wrong. I tried to get him on the show and say to him, I think that this is going to be altcoin season. I'll tell you why I think this is going to be an altcoin season. So you think about the thesis for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is sound money that is immune to inflation and government intervention. That's pretty much how you could define Bitcoin because we know Bitcoin has a predictable inflation rate. We know how many Bitcoin are going to be mined every single year. 
We know how many Bitcoin are going to be issued every single year. Bitcoin is sound money that is inflation proof. It's something that people need when governments are printing money, right? But what happens when governments are starting to take money out of circulation? Then the thesis for an asset that is reliant on governments printing more money, that protects you from government printing more money is, well, we don't really need this because we've had the one cycle where the government has, in, has put so much money into the economy, but now what they're doing is they're actually taking money out of the economy. And so what people are looking at this is they're going, hold on a second. If the governments are going to be taking money out of circulation, which is the opposite of inflation because they're bringing inflation down so that you effect effectively to bring inflation down, you've got to make a kind of deflation. You've got to bring prices down. You've got to get money out of circulation. Then what is the thesis for an asset that is protected against inflation? Whereas at the same time, what you're getting is you're getting the internet or web 3.0 being born out of altcoins. And so right now we have this very, very interesting thesis at play. It's for the first time we're getting a real um, uh, decorrelation between crypto assets. The market is for the first time since I've been in crypto actually pricing Bitcoin and crypto correctly. And what does correctly mean? That means if Bitcoin goes down, it doesn't mean that Ethereum must go down. It doesn't make sense in, the, in, in Web 2.0 that if gold goes down, gold being Bitcoin, then Amazon should go down too. In fact, it's the exact opposite. If gold goes down, it means that the government is, because gold is the inflation edge, it means that the government is taking money out of circulation. And if the if government is taking money out of circulation, it, it, uh, it, sorry, if, if gold goes up, it, it means that, that the government is putting money into circulation. If gold goes down, it means that government is taking money out of circulation, which is exactly what's happening. It doesn't make sense that that correlates with the performance of Amazon or Netflix or the internet or any tech-related stock. So for the first time in a long time, in fact, for the first time since I've been in crypto, we're finally seeing the market mature and start pricing assets like they're supposed to be priced. No more correlating Bitcoin with Ethereum. Bitcoin is a store of value. Right now, you don't need a store of value that is protected against inflation because what the government is doing is actually taking inflation out of the system. So it's the opposite of what we had during COVID. While at the same time, adoption in the new internet, in Web 3.0, is starting to really increase. And so it's a super encouraging sign. It's a sign that the market is actually maturing and people are pricing in, uh, uh, are actually pricing this market correctly. And that's why we're seeing the dominance down at 39.4%. And you're seeing ETH 67% up higher over its lows uh, in anticipation of the merge, right? So that's where it is. It's, it's, it's in anticipation of the merge. And we're going to talk about the merge in a couple of secs. What you can see here is, that the crypto fear and greed index is at 24. And I'll get you the ETH fear and greed index, but the ETH fear and greed index is actually at 35. So um, that's, that's what I'm seeing here. But I wanted to talk to you guys about this chart because I think this chart is super, super, super encouraging. When I saw this chart, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe it. This is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay, so this is the most exciting chart that I've seen today. I'll tell you why. This is the, the chart of Solana uh, over the chart of Ethereum. And what it does is it takes Solana this cycle versus Ethereum in the previous cycle, right? So what you can see is that these are, are, are pretty much Solana is performing this cycle like ETH performed in the last cycle, right? Now, the, the author of this chart or the, 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 guy, the author of this tweet says this might take a while. So he's looking at the wrong way. He's saying, look, this might take a while. This may actually take a while because he's seeing this long tail over here. And he may be right. There may be a couple more months. 
But what happened to ETH after those couple of months? Let's go back and look at what actually happened to ETH after those, those couple of, of, of weeks or months where the price dragged like that. Sorry, I'm using a very small monitor here. So I'm trying to get my charts on a very, 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 very small monitor. It's a travel monitor. Um, okay, so here's, here's the period that he's referring to. It's this period of ETH kind of bouncing around. So that's the, that's the peak that he's referring to over there. So there we go. Let's just quickly look at it. That's the peak over there. So that peak is that peak over there. And then we start bouncing around. But then what happened to Ethereum after that? Well, you can see that we went from we went way past all time high. So if this is what Solana is doing, if Solana is copying Ethan, this may be one of the best buying opportunities for Solana or for any kind of altcoin that you believe in. So I'm using Solana as a proxy because what we know is that ETH followed Bitcoin in its first cycle. So Bitcoin had the first cycle, ETH had the first cycle. They were exactly the same. Bitcoin had the second cycle, ETH followed Bitcoin in its second cycle. Now Solana's following ETH in the first cycle and it will probably follow ETH in the, uh, in the second cycle. And that's the cycle that all altcoins are going to go through. It's like watching the same movie again and again and again. And so now when you look at this, you go, you look at this and you go, hold on a second. If that is the case, then maybe some of these altcoins are actually worth starting to buy right now. You know, you don't need to catch them at the exact bottom. In fact, if you look at the range where we traded uh, in 2000 and uh, in 2017, if you look at the range that we traded at, we traded between $70 or $80 and $379 for quite a long time. For, in fact, let's quickly look at how long we traded at this range for pretty much we traded here for 696 days so one and a half years one and a half years we traded in that range but when we finally broke out we went up to five thousand or four let's just really check what the top was here uh four thousand eight hundred ninety-nine and so if we are in this period over here and you're pretty much accumulating your favorite altcoins at somewhere between accumulating the equivalent of accumulating ETH at eighty dollars, well between eighty and three hundred and eighty dollars, then you should be accumulating. Now, again, I do think that the, the bear market is going to follow some kind of pattern like this, where we're going to go up and down, and that means that every time that we're in the bottom of the cycle, then what we need to do is we need to we need to be buying at the bottom of the cycle. So just keep buying at the bottom of the cycle, and this feels like it is to me. It feels like it's at it's at the bottom of the cycle. And I'll tell you why I think it feels like we're at the bottom of a cycle. So there are a couple of things that are telling me that we may be at the bottom of a cycle. Now, remember, I'm not saying that this is the bottom. I'm just saying that it doesn't matter whether you buy here or here or here, whether you bought at 100, 109, 120, 134, doesn't really matter when you get to 5,800. And that's what you need to be looking at. And right now, to me, it feels like we're at the bottom of, if, if, you, if you call this, if you kind of look at this and go, um, oh, hold on a second, let's see if we can get some kind of, okay, if, if you look at this and you say, okay, hold on a second, let's actually just draw a quick channel here. So let's say, if you look at this and you say, okay, that's the one, the one part of the channel and you take another line and you say, okay, this is another part of the channel over here where this is the extreme bottom. To me, if, as long as you're accumulating somewhere below this line over here, you're probably doing okay. And so we've been hovering between 25,000 on Bitcoin and now back to 18,000 on Bitcoin. It feels to me like we could be at some kind of bottom. Why could we, where, where do I get this thing if we could be at some kind of bottom? 
Well, the first thing is, is if you look at where we are now, no one can see the end. Everybody just says, we can't see the end. We can't see the Fed uh, uh, um, stopping the, 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 the tightening. We can't see the end of the Russia-Ukraine war. We can't see the end of this. And generally, when you get to a point where you can't see the end, where people start getting tired, where people start getting moved out the market, that is usually when sentiment is at its lowest. And when sentiment is at its lowest, it means that people aren't buying. And you can see today that people just aren't buying anything. There's no, there are no bids in this market. And the reason why there are no bids is because people have lost interest. They just can't see the end of this bad thing. We can only see bad things. There's going to be a long war in Russia. Europe's about to go into a very, very, very cold winter. The Fed is going to continue to tighten. In fact, I'll show you in a second how much the Fed can continue to tighten. And we just can't see the end. And when that happens, usually that's a sign that we're getting next, next to about, uh, near a bottom. I'll also show you another thing. So this is the Bitcoin drawdown versus previous cycles. Now, what you can see is that we're kind of mirroring uh, previous cycles pretty well. Like, you know, the worst cycles have gone down 92%, 83%, and 81%. We're 72% down. And if you kind of see how we've bottomed in terms of number of days, we're pretty much getting close to, to a bottom. Like, we're on 280 days. Guys, remember that November is one year since this um, – November is one year since we've gone, since we started this down market. So you've already survived one year. And you can see that in previous cycles, it's ranged from 180 days all the way up to 420 days until we've hit the bottom. So we're pretty much there. Um, we also down 72%. So, you know, that's, that's another one. So that's, that's one of the things that's showing me that it's, we're near a bottom. The NASDAQ is the most oversold that it's been using this McClellan oscillator um, since 2021. So um, again, another sign that shows me that we could be nearing a bottom or at the bottom part of the range. And that's where you want to be buying. Um, okay. So money managers are short. They are, they're looking for direction, but they, they, they are slightly more short. And remember that usually when you're near a bottom, it's when people say this time is different. Okay. This time is different. And, and it's not because in every systematic collapse, we, what we realize is that people start to deny the facts. And we see that in this market, it's exactly the same. People are starting to deny the facts. The definition of a recession has changed. There's a major top in the housing market, which has been dismissed. Inflation being fought with more inflation. We'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. People saying, this is not your average bear market. This time is different. This time is not different. Sentiment is at an all-time low. Usually when sentiment is at an all-time low, the market usually turns. And I guess right now, there are two things that play in this market. The first thing that's at play in this market is interest rates and how the Fed is going to manage interest rates. So let's look at how the Fed is going to manage interest rates. The first thing we can see is that there's still currently a 72% chance of a 75 basis point rate hike. Okay, that is, oh, let me just switch off Siri here. There's 72% uh, uh, um, uh, probability of a 75 basis point rate hike. Uh, today and tomorrow, the Fed are coming out speaking. Um, I don't know if they can do much more damage than they did last time. In fact, if anything, they can repair the damage. So I'm pretty bullish about the Fed speaking. I can't see anything bad coming out of it, but I guess time will tell. And why I say to you that the market is now in the hands of two things. Firstly, it's the Fed, is because if we look at the last seven bear markets, the S&P did not bottom until after the Fed began cutting rates. And right now, the Fed is still increasing rates. So this is showing you that you know, we may not be near the end until the Fed starts hiking rates. And if they're going to hike rates, they're going to hike rates until the rates are higher than inflation. 
Right now, rates are at, I don't know, 3%, and inflation is at 8.8%, which means there's still quite a long way to go. So the one thing that's driving this market is, um, is, is rates. And what we see with rates and what we see with economic performance is that the Europe is starting to follow what happened in the United States. Remember in the United States, rates peaked and then only the Fed followed with rate increases. Exactly the same thing is starting to happen in Europe. In Europe, traders are now pricing in a 175 basis point rate hike in the remainder of 2022. So that would mean a 75 basis point move this week and then two further 50 basis points this week. But the, the problem is that Europe is absolutely screwed. Europe is a mess at the moment because Europe is caught between the rock and a hard place. On the one hand, they need to increase rates. On the other hand, they waited so long to increase rates that they actually got caught in a recession. Okay, they actually got caught inside a recession. Now, imagine increasing rates while you know you're in a recession. And to make things even worse, their recession is about to get a whole lot worse. And this is, this is really what we need to talk about. We need to talk about this energy war that's happening in, in, in Europe and see what the implications of this energy war in Europe are going to be. And the implications are absolutely huge. So let's look, at, let's look at some anecdotes of what they look like. So the first thing is, at current forward prices, we estimate that energy bills will peak at 500 euros per month for a typic, typical European family, which means a 200% increase from 2021. So imagine energy increases by 200% in 2021, from 2021. That is absolutely huge, not only for, for households, but imagine running a factory. Imagine running an aluminum factory or any kind of factory, and your energy bills, which make up a huge part of your bills, increase by 200%. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is that the heat is on. Russia is not relenting. They know Europe is going into winter. And if you look at the main pipeline, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline that goes from Europe to, to from Russia to the rest of Europe, right now, this pipeline is pumping zero. Zero. Look at that. I mean, if we, let's, let's, look by, let's, let's sort it by day, and you can just see, let's just quickly sort it by day, and let's look at the last month. But you can see that, the Russia, that Russia has, cast, has cut gas supplies using this Nord Stream pipeline to zero. And I mean, just to give an idea of how much it was flowing, that's how much it was flowing. And they've literally cut it from the 31st of August. They cut the gas supplies to zero. Right now, Europe is getting zero gas from Russia. That's a very, very scary, very scary place to be. You know what that means? It means that right now, Europe has to make use of the gas that they've got. And if they make use of the gas that they've got, what they're praying for is they're praying for a winter that's not too cold because it ultimately is going to come down to weather now. If they get a rather warm winter, some countries may be able to survive this winter. If not, the shit's going to hit the fan in Europe, and there's nothing they can do about it. And, I mean, you can see this. I saw this tweet here um, by Macro Elf. He says, right now it's about the weather. Imagine having the fate of your economy about the weather. And, and now people are starting to, to become meteorologists. Uh, another guy says, EU natural gas storage facilities on average 80% full. If this winter is not unusually harsh and cold, then Europe will get by. What concerns me is not this winter, it's next winter. And so that's what's going on in Europe. What we're also seeing in Europe is that they're saying, look, if Germany doesn't, if, if Russia doesn't switch on Nord Stream 1, the severity of this, we may get a very, very, very severe recession in, in, in Europe. Very, very, very severe recession in Europe. Um, 
And so what do governments do when they get into a severe recession? This is where it gets super, super interesting. Because remember, on the one hand, we're expecting Europe to increase interest rates. Remember we said, so we said Europe will probably be forced to increase interest rates into the, into the, 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 the remainder of the year. The government kind of have, has two things that they can do now. The first thing that they, that they can do is they can cut usage of energy. Energy meaning electricity and gas. Now, for those of you who haven't lived in a third world country, that is one of the biggest things that can cripple the economy. I live in South Africa, and in South Africa, they have this thing called power cuts or load shedding because they don't have enough electricity. And so what they do is at random times during the day, they just cut the electricity to an entire region completely. Imagine no traffic lights, no factories working, no laptops working, no internet working because there's just no electricity. They just take a switch and they switch off the electricity usage because it just isn't electricity. And that is one way to cripple the economy and to make GDP growth halt and to make a recession even worse. And that is exactly what Europe's doing. In fact, this is what they're doing with gas. Listen to this. And this is what is expensive because in these peak demands, the expensive gas comes into the market. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands. We will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours. And we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. Reducing electricity costs means reducing productivity, reducing uh, uh, um, factory output in a country. Now, that's the last thing that Europe can do, given where it's at at the moment. If you look at this data of where Europe is at at the moment, this is the European trade balance. The trade balance shows you how much they're importing versus how much they're exporting. And you can see that for the longest time, Europe was actually net exporters. But now they're net importers and they're importing energy and a whole lot of other things. And they're not really exporting much. Now take that and add to it some power cuts and some electricity cuts. And what do you get? You get a huge problem. You get Europe being absolutely destroyed. No productivity and having to import from everywhere else, which is going to make the euro even lower. Okay, so that's the first thing that you've got going on. The next thing that you've got going on is you've got margin calls totaling at least $1.5 trillion um, from energy companies speculating or buying um, uh, 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 forwards and futures and derivatives on energy. Okay, now 10% of the GDP in Europe is 1.5 trillion, and now there are margin calls for $1.5 trillion. What this means is that there may be a $1.5 trillion squeeze in Europe. This is like the equivalent of the banking collapse. So, first you had the banking meltdown, then you had the housing meltdown, and now you've got an energy meltdown. And the energy meltdown is no small story. It is 10% of the GDP of Europe, and it is $1.5 trillion. And if this happens, I saw a tweet over here. Um, I'll show you this tweet. Okay, so he says, he says, loads of indirect risks on balance sheet. Banks can go down because there's a lot of banks with exposure to energy. And he says, he says, first it was the housing market, and now it's the energy market collapsing. And that could take down insurance companies, financial institutions, banks, and any company that has exposure to energy. So that's a massive, massive um, uh, a risk to Europe. So the, as I said, the first thing that the, the European banks can do or the European governments can do is they can limit the use and therefore limit the growth of the economy, limit the use of, of gas and electricity, and therefore limit output, destroy output and 
pretty much destroyed the economy. And I've seen that. I've lived through one of those things in South Africa when they cut off the electricity. South Africa was a, a big gold manufacturer and platinum manufacturer. And they literally just switched off the electricity to the mines. And so even though we had all this natural resource, we actually couldn't export it, which was disastrous for the country. It destroyed the currency. The currency um, halved pretty much relative to the dollar, and it made South Africa a net importer, which was shocking. So what do governments do in a situation like this? And this is where it gets really tricky. On the one hand, they're threatening to increase interest rates to reduce inflation. On the other hand, the only way that they can get out of this is through stimulus. And so now they're talking about huge stimulus, 2.4 billion in Portugal for inflation aid. Um, Trust, who's the new prime minister in the UK, okay, she lines up 130 billion uh, uh, pound plan to freeze UK energy bills. That's putting 130 billion back into the economy. And so this is a huge crisis because on the one hand, you've got this rampant inflation in Europe. On the other hand, they want to be cutting rates. But at the same time, they're putting more money into the economy. Look at this, they're putting more money. Um, 40 billion energy aid package for big businesses. Um, so, there's, so this is what's happening in, in, the, in, in, in Europe at the moment. On the one hand, they're increasing rates. They are limiting production. And on the other hand, they're going to be doing stimulus. And if they do stimulus, well, effectively, that's printing more money into the economy. So let's watch this and see how it plays out. All eyes are on Russia. Now, you have to ask yourself a question. Who actually wins here? Does Russia win in this war? Does, does Russia win in this war? Does, because what Russia did was it basically hamstrung the rest of Europe by cutting off all the energy supplies. Who wins here? So I saw this, and I think that we've got to pay attention to what's going on here. The first thing is Putin has played his cards very, very smartly. He said, look, we don't trust in the dollar. We don't trust in the euro. We don't trust the, the pound. And therefore, we are no longer selling oil denominated in pounds. We're selling oil denominated in Chinese yuan and other currencies, which is reducing the world's dependence on the dollar, which is a good thing because you don't want people to want the dollar because the dollar index is exploding. So the one silver lining is that they're changing demand from the, from the dollar to other currencies. Okay, so Gazprom and China have moved to a ruble and yuan settlement for gas in proportion of 50-50. So no more settlement in, in, in US dollars, settlement in yuan and gas. At the same time, you've got India and India jumping and saying, look, we want to strengthen our ties with Russia. And so you're getting this Europe and the West and the United States against India, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and all the, 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 the Arab countries, and China. And it's starting to very, very, very much feel like a world war, very much like the, the, the next world war, which is around oil. Now, people say, I see the people in the comments are saying Russia is getting uh, destroyed. Trump did warn about this. I did show, show it to you guys in one of my previous shows. Um, but this is a super important tweet. So he says, this is from the same guy, Andre, Andre, Andreas Stenolas, and you should follow him. He's really good. He's, he's really good. He says, look, debunking five pieces of Russian misinformation on natural gas. First thing is, can Russia just sell gas to India and China? And the answer is no. And the reason why they can't just sell um, a gas to, 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 to China and India is because they don't have a pipe that is built between Russia and India. So it says, no, roughly 40 out of 250 billion cubic meters are exported as LNG, that's in those pipes. But there are no pipelines from those huge fields um, to anywhere else than Europe. And it'll take years to redirect flows. So Russia is not really winning over there. Number two, the ruble is strong. No, no, no. The ruble is not strong. The only reason why the ruble seems strong 
is because you need to have ruble to pay for gas and for oil from Russia, but Russians aren't spending ruble because no one because everyone's put sanctions against them. Is the Russian economy firing on all cylinders? Of course, absolutely not. You can see that because if you look at vehicle sales in Russia, they're now at an all-time low. So the Russian economy is not flourishing. Germans gas, Germany's gas, German gas flows will go to zero. No, gas flows are not going to zero. Germany has other supplies, and zero percent flows from Russia will likely lead German gas flows back to 2015 levels. So Germany does have other supplies. Can can Russia sell resell gas to Europe via China? No, China bought 2.3 uh, 2.35 mn tons from LNG. Um, which is a, a, a drop in the bucket relative to Europe because they buy 70. So what he's saying here is that this is a game of chicken. Europe is in a mess and Russia is in a mess. Both of them have incentive to work it out. But I suspect, I suspect, I suspect that Putin has slightly less incentive because the longer he can hamstring the energy supply, the more he can charge per barrel of oil and per unit of gas. And the more he can charge for barrel of oil per unit of gas, the more money that they're making to keep them solvent in this crisis. That's the situation in Russia. We've got to keep our eyes uh, close to it. I'll keep my eyes very close to it. Keep you guys close to it. Um, let's talk about Ethereum because we're we're pretty much like in the merge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, guys, look, you, it's right. The orange president did actually warn them about that this would happen. Um, no one listened to him. Now they're paying the price. Now they're paying the price. I, want, I wonder if there was a general election right now and it was Putin against Trump. Who would win? Let me know in the comments who you think would win. Let me know in the comments. All right, let's talk about the Ethereum merge because lots happening when it comes to the Ethereum merge and the market's starting to act a little bit irrationally. So I want to show you where the market's acting irrationally. So let's just quickly look at where we are. The first part of the merge is preparing the chain for the merge and that's called Bellatrix. Bellatrix has now been activated. It went smoothly with no issues. So first part of the merge happening smoothly with no issues. Right now, 74% of all nodes, probably this is higher now, 74% of all nodes are ready for the merge. Uh, we've got about, about six days left for the merge. So six days from now, we're probably looking at about 13th, 14th, maybe 15th. Okay, that's when the merge is going to happen. And the big question now is whether this merge will go successfully. People are starting to ask questions about the merge. And the market is starting to act a little bit irrationally. And I'll show you what I mean with the market starting to act irrationally. So people are, start, are starting to act irrationally or to start, to start asking what can actually go wrong. And right now what they're realizing is that everyone is priced in a successful merge. But what happens if the merge is unsuccessful? Very, very, very small chance, but it can happen. And so people are saying, what you need to be doing now is you need to be getting all your tokens off bridges, out of DeFi protocols, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And what you're seeing is you're seeing the market being irrational. And when I say irrational, what the market is doing right now is the market is trying to get its hands on as many ETH as possible just so that they can get the proof of work fork. Remember I said to you that when the merge happens, there's going to be a proof of stake coin. And if the miners carry on mining, there's going to be a proof of work coin. And this is where the market's acting irrationally because everyone is now starting to borrow ETH. So max ETH borrow utilization, this guy says. Um, this person over here says... Uh, bridge all ETH to main, mainnet, um, unstake from all the DeFi protocols, because if your Ethereum are in DeFi protocols, you're not going to get the forked ETH. I said this to you last week, I'm saying it to you again. If you want the forked ETH, then make sure that your Ethereum are an exchange that supports the ETH merge and the proof of work token. If, you don't, if you're not on an exchange that, perform, that, that supports the token, or if you, 
So either be on an exchange that supports a token or keep your, your Ethereum in a wallet. But don't keep your Ethereum on any DeFi protocols. If you do, you probably ain't getting the proof of work chain uh, token. Now, question is, what is it actually going to be worth? Well, if you look at Poloniex, so let's quickly look at, do we have Poloniex? Just here we go. Uh, where is Poloniex? I must have it somewhere. There we go. Okay, so you can see that right now, the market is only pricing the new proof of work token at 2.5% of the network value. And if the, if the token um, if the token is only priced at 2.5% of the network value, why is everyone rushing to unstake their STEs? to unstake the Ethereum and to get the Ethereum for a token that's only worth 2.5%. So, so you've got to be careful. You've got to ask yourself a question. Is the market being irrational? What I've done is I've gone 100% into ETH. I don't have any derivatives of ETH. I don't have any staked ETH anymore. Um, I'm, I've got 100% of my ETH in ETH, and I'm going to play the proof of work uh, uh, chain. I don't think the proof of work chain is going to do anything amazing, but I do think that you may be able to get between 5 and 10% more on your ETH if you do have ETH as opposed to STETH. And that's what the market's telling you at the moment. So, yeah, that's what the market's telling you at the moment. In fact, if I do do a show tomorrow, then if I do do a show tomorrow, then I will, um, yeah, people saying I look sick. It's not me, it's the lighting. I feel amazing, as you can see. It's just, it's bad lighting here. You can see I've got multiple lights and it makes me look like a ghost. I'm fine. Everything's cool. I'm fine. I'm going to go out today. I'm going to uh, drink a little bit. It's going to be fine. Um, someone said, Someone said, um, uh, why is oil going down? Remember, oil is going down because Joe Biden is manipulating the price of oil. And the reason why Joe Biden is, Biden is manipulating the price of oil is because they're selling the U.S. strategic oil reserves. And that creates it's a strategic reserve, which is made for times like this, times of war um, and to reduce inflation. And what's happening at the moment is that you're getting um, the U.S. depleting their strategic reserve and putting more oil into the market. But that's not sustainable. In fact, their strategic reserve is about 50% down already. So, I mean, th that's not a sustainable strategy, that's for sure. Um, what else is there? There, were, there were, were a few other things. I don't want to give, keep it quite a short show, but I guess for you guys, we'll do anything. Um, I think USDC took a, hit, a huge hit yesterday. Uh, yeah, tequila will bring my color. But my color is cool. It's just, it's just bad lights. I promise you, I feel amazing. Um, B, uh, Binance now eliminated USDC pairs or is going to um, remove USDC pairs, uh, which is not great for USDC, even though Jeremy Allaire actually does spin it as something that is good. Um, I mean, I know why Binance is doing this. They're doing this because in a bull market, there's a lot of liquidity, so you can trade against multiple USD pairs. But in a bear market, you want to concentrate the liquidity. And obviously, they want to look, at, they want to look after BUSD because that's what Binance's agenda is. So they're looking after BUSD. And so, yeah, uh, they eliminating USDC pairs. Jeremy Allaire says it's actually going to be good. Um, and he says the reason why it's going to be good is because BUSD has a lot of very little usage outside of Binance. And this was likely benefit USDC usage as a preferred cross-sex and DEX stablecoin rail. I don't believe that. I think Jeremy Allaire um, got screwed by Binance. Uh, I think Binance also making a mistake. But I mean, don't challenge Binance because you know what's going to happen. Um, okay, I mean, the Vastal Fork is on for the 22nd. We'll talk about that closer to the 22nd. I don't think we should talk about it now. We should talk about it closer to the 22nd. Um, oh, I love this. I love this. I love this. So this is um, Twitter. So there was, in the Twitter court case, 
against Elon Musk. Uh, they found, I don't know if it was a tweet or a message, but they found a message saying, let's slow down just a few days. It won't make sense to buy Twitter if we're heading into a world war. This court case is turning very much against Elon Musk. And I suspect that the court will actually say that he has to go through with a merger, which is going to be pretty interesting. I mean, I do prefer that, um, I do prefer, uh, someone said, some, I hate Apple says, are you going to talk about the point of the video title? We spoke about it. Just rewind and go and listen to my, my whole thing that I did about the Europe energy crisis and the $1.5 trillion margin call that's about to happen and how that may cripple all the banks in Europe and all the financial institutions in Europe and all the factories in Europe. Just watch it. Watch it on two-speed because some people say I talk too slowly. Um, lastly, I saw uh, Jimmy's car parked outside in California. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. But it's true. You need a generator because California doesn't have enough electricity. So you need a gas generator to charge up your electric car because the grid is overloaded. These are all the things that these are all the things around um, energy uh, um, energy cutdowns. And you know the irony is that in South Africa we've had this for many years, and we always thought that it would never happen anywhere else in the world. Which is always like this could only happen in Africa. They could only ration gas usage and electricity usage in Africa. Nowhere else in the world would this happen. And well, let's see where we are. Here we are now. And Europe, first world Europe. Germany, which is the epitome of first world Europe. The UK, which is the epitome of first world Europe, is having the same energy supplies that we had, the, the same energy uh, issues as we had in South Africa. Um, okay, so a few announcements. The first thing is, remember, we're going to be at Neocon next week. Uh, I'm going to be speaking there. So if you're around, there is a link in the bottom. Um, come, come join us. We're going to have some fun there. Come join us. Meet the guys from Near Protocol. We'll be there. It will be amazing. Um, there's a link at the bottom that you can sign up with. I think it's pretty cheap to come if you want to come. Let us know if you're coming so we can hang out. Um, also, we are doing another trading competition. So right now, there are a few things happening at Bybit. So I've got some, some good news for you. So first thing is, there is no, there are no more spot fees on Bybit. So if you open an account on Bybit using the referral link below, not only will you get $4,200 in, in, in sign-up bonuses, but there are no more spot fees. Zero, nada, no more spot fees trading on Bybit. On Bybit. And it is one of the best exchanges. So um, do it. Sign up using that link. Second thing is we are starting another trading competition. The trading competition is going to start on the 1st of October. There are going to be two exchanges doing it, Bybit and BitGet. At the same time, the reason is we want the U.S. guys to be able to trade with us, which they couldn't do last time, unless they were smart and they used a VPN. So if you want to use a VPN, you can use a VPN, you can use Bybit. If you don't, you can use BitGet. And we're starting a new trading competition for you guys on the 1st of October, and it's going to be much bigger prize money. It's going to be a whole lot more fun. Now, I had an amazing, amazing, amazing time in the trading competition. I learned how to trade. It was super amazing. We had fun. Um, uh, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So tomorrow or the next day, I'll drop the link for the sign up for the trading competition. Uh, until then, sign up using the links below. You can get up to $8,000 in referral bonuses using BitGet. Uh, you can get up to $4,500 using Bybit. Bybit, zero fees on spot. And they have another trading competition on Ethereum, which starts, I think, today. So what you're saying is that there are no spot fees on Bybit. That's exactly what I'm saying. There are no spot fees on Bybit. Exactly. Let me show you this. And I know you don't believe me, but you can literally trade. Let me just see if I can find the announcement for you. Here we go. Look at this. We are live. Zero fees on all spot trading pairs on Bybit. Yes, literally, there are zero trading fees on spot 
on Bybit. So sign up now, get $4,500 in referral bonuses and, um, and, get yourself, uh, and get yourselves zero spot trading fees. There is an ETH trading competition where you're only allowed to trade ETH on Bybit. And then after that, we've got our community trading competition. It's going to be bigger than last time. And I'll let you in a little secret. I'm challenging the MM crypto community to come in and, 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 and trade against the banter community in a fun way. I mean, we love the MM crypto. He's really one of my favorite people in the space. So um, someone says, yeah, you haven't been paid from the previous Bybit competition. I'll check that everyone's been paid. I'll ask Bybit. Um, so we are going to challenge, we are going to challenge the MM crypto community. There's going to be two teams in this competition or maybe more, but for now, two teams, and we're going to be trading against them. I've got a full strategy. My strategy is very simple. I'm not listening to Sheldon. I'm doing it my way. I'm not listening to Sheldon. I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. Uh, what did the birdie say tomorrow? Tomorrow I'll give you guys a birdie show. Who's going to win? If we, do a, if we do a trading competition against the MM crypto community, who's going to win? It's going to be someone of our communities. I mean, our community, we had traders that made 1,100% in three weeks. So, I don't know. I think we'll be fine. Wow, I do actually look bad in this light. It's definitely the light. I actually, actually look and I feel pretty good. See you guys again tomorrow. Until then, here's the duck. Bang on a drum. <laughs>